the Lord a while back started putting a uh, a book on my heart to share the next time I was asked. And uh, I got some good news and bad news about that because the book he, heard, he put on my heart has 42 chapters. <laughs> yeah. And it's already, what, 1038, matter of fact. Matter, let me take this off so I can keep track. So, yeah, it's going to be... Uh, Kind of a, a doozy, but I do have some good news for you because I only I only studied up on forty one of the chapters. So <laughs> hey, you get a cut rate deal from me. You get one chapter off. Uh, no, any of you know me know that I wouldn't have enough time to go through forty one chapters that quick. We're going to try and get through the first couple of chapters today, and then uh, later sometime maybe I'll teach a little bit more on it. But before we do that, I just I just want to go to the Lord in prayer again, please. Heavenly Father, we just come to you, Lord, and we just lift this time to you. Lord, I pray right now that you just touch me. You take away any nervousness or whatever whatever is inside of me, Lord, and just discard it right now. Lord, just work your wonders through this. In your name I pray. Amen. If somebody asked you if you were blessed, what would your first response be? To that, if you were blessed, would your first response be that, hey, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm blessed because I've got a nice home. I stay nice and cool in the summer, nice and warm in the in the winter time. I got a nice car, got a good job, pads up my bank account pretty good. We live a good life and, and all that. Is that what you're blessed about? Because if you're blessed about that, brothers and sisters, we're missing it. Because that's what the world wants you to be looking at and feeling like you're blessed about. Steve Lilly, my brother, stand up, please. Are you a blessed man, my brother? <laughs> Are you blessed, my brother? You have cancer, don't you? And it's slowly but surely eating away at you, isn't it? But yet you stand here in front of us and you, and you tell me you're blessed. The world, the world will tell you that you should be upset and bothered because of the fact that you have something like this, wouldn't it? Thank you, brother. Have a seat. That's exactly right, right brothers and sisters. Because of the fact is, we should be blessed every single morning when we wake up and we roll over and God has given us that precious breath of life to breathe, to live another day for him, to be able to share the gospel of Christ throughout this world. But yet, so many times, we just, we praise him and we feel blessed when things are going good, don't we? Things are going great. Oh, I, everything couldn't be, couldn't be better right now. Till you get that news from the doctor. You get a phone call from a family or a friend about a tragic incident. And then what happens? Are we blessed then? More times than not, we don't feel blessed, do we? Because something's going wrong. We feel like then that 
Oh, poor pitiful me. Why, what did I do? Why did I deserve this? We are to bless God Almighty no matter what. In the good times and in the bad. I want to read a scripture to you. We all know it. We all know it pretty good probably. If I can find it again. It's in James chapter 5. I'm sorry, James chapter 1. And uh, I have it marked, but I'm not doing a good job of making you believe that, Emma. Here we go. I'll find it in a minute. James chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the test, the testing of your faith produces, here's that word we love to hear, patience. Patience. We're to, we're to uh, count these trials as joy. But yet, how many times do we count those trials as the complete opposite of joy? Why is this happening to me? You know, we don't always know the answers. But as a Christian, as a child of God, we don't have to always know the answers. We have to know that we love a, we serve a loving and kind and wonderful God. That he has a bigger picture for us than what we have and what we think about. We're going to be looking at Job chapter 1. I'm going to try and uh, get into chapter 2. I'm, I'm planning on it. But uh, let's stand as we read the Word of God, please. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household? And around all that he has on every side. You have blessed the work of his hands. And his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand. 
and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. Excuse me. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away. Yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head. And he fell to the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Please be seated. We see here in the first three, cha- uh, first three verses a description of Job. In modern day terms, we would probably consider, we would probably call Job the man. Because he had, he had it all. He was very wealthy. Back in, those, back in the, the Old Testament times, wealth was not so much determined by money. It was determined more like by the amount of land and animals and, and servants that, uh, that you had back there. And based on this, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels. Oh, by the way, has anybody here ever ridden on a camel? I've never, I've never been on a horse in my life, but I have ridden a camel. Imagine that. <laughs> when I was over in uh, Saudi Arabia years ago in the military. They're dirty, they're stinky, and guess what? They can spit. So imagine you're working 3,000 camels. Job and his servants probably did a whole lot of dodging spit while they were, uh, while they were working. 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. Also, another, blood, another way that people were considered to be blessed by God was to, uh, by having a large household. Job's, Job's household made the uh, Brady Bunch look like a small group. Ten kids, him and his wife. Of course, I, right here in Calvary Chapel, we have a whole lot of families here that are no doubt truly blessed by God because we've got a large, lot of large families here. 
But uh, <clears throat> he was blameless and shunned evil. Job was probably the walking example of how you are to handle pain and tragedy as a child of God. There is no doubt in my mind that he, he is a, a, was a walking example of that. He was held in high esteem where he was at because the scripture tells us right here that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. So Job, like I said, was the man. But yet, in all that he had, he always, always gave God the glory. He knew where everything came from. And because of that, God continued to bless him over and over and over again. Verses 4 to 5, we find out a little bit about his sons and his, and his daughters. We find out that they like to uh, feast together and have celebrations Reading a couple of different uh, ideas on this. First off, it, it sounded like because the way it was uh, written that they might have their big celebrations on uh, birthdays and things of this nature. But then as we get over to, to uh, verse 5, it talks about thus uh, Job did regularly. It almost makes you think like it was weekly, you know, and... Uh, he had seven sons, seven days of the week. Maybe they did it each night. I don't really know positively. But they did like to get together and eat and drink wine and, and have a good time together. Job, kind of like we as parents are, he was, he, was an he was the intercessor for his kids. I mean, nowadays we, we pray for our kids all the time. We intercede on their, on their behalf. And Job was no different. Back in those times, yes, they had to do uh, the burnt offerings and the sacrifices and, and things of that. But it's no different than what we do now, the way that we intercede and, and pray. And we're concerned about the salvation for our kids. So that, that's what he did on a, on a regular basis. Now starting in verse 6, this is where it starts getting really, really pretty, pretty wild. Because there's a, I uh, like to think of it like a heavenly council. The sons of God gathered. God, of course, being the overseer of this, uh, of this group. They're having a meeting and who happens to come along? Satan, come, Satan comes along to the meeting also. God sees him and he asks him, So from where do you come? Satan answers, From going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. And this right here, if I was going to title this message, it'd be something along the lines of, Does God consider me? A Job. So when, when I say that, you just interject your name into that. Does he consider me a Job? 
And we'll, we'll see about this in just a minute because it, it's getting pretty, uh, pretty crazy here now. And uh, then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man and one who fears God and shuns evil? Now that right there, brothers and sisters, should tell us exactly where Job stands with God. God knowing that Satan is going to do all kinds of things to his servant to prove to God that, that Job has ulterior motives, that he only serves him for, for one reason. We'll get into that in just a minute. So for him to bring Job's name up like that just out of the blue, it's just absolutely amazing to me about this man. So Satan answers the Lord and says, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him? Have you not protected him? Have you not provided and given him everything that he needs? I want to go one chapter over for just a minute. I'm going to mark this spot here so I don't forget where it's at. I want to go to Psalm 1. This is a psalm here that every morning when I start my devotion time, I start with this psalm. And it's because I, every day of my life I strive to be this kind of person, but I fail God so much every day in it. But I know that by his grace and mercy and love, every time I ask him to forgive me, he forgives me. And when he forgives me, his forgiveness is as far as the east from the west. So I, I know he's forgotten about it. And we start a new day over. Blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. And I want to focus on this next verse for just a minute. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Every time I read this, when I've been studying this past week and I read this, all I can think about is Job, how strong he is no matter what, how firmly planted he is like that tree planted by the water, by the rivers of water growing up in the south along the riverbanks we have great big old pine trees and all kinds of other trees and you can get there and you can see the roots just going down into the water they're planted deep into there that's where they get their source from i pray to god every day and i hope and pray that that's what you do too that every morning when he he wakes me with that breath that I will be as firmly entrenched in him and in his love and grace and mercy as those tree roots were planted in that riverbank, in that river. Because, brothers and sisters, he tells us in the scripture that his water never runs dry. It'll never run dry. 
And the more we try to get closer to him, and the more we get entrenched into him, the more and more that water flows. And that's what we need to be doing each and every day. There's no doubt in my mind that's what Job did with God. That's how he was. But now we go, we go back to Job and we start seeing some things here. Satan is starting to uh, tell God that Job's a fraud. That I'm sorry about this, but my mouth's very dry. I don't know why. But he's a fraud that he only loves and worships God because God give, basically gives him everything he needs. But he tells him, he goes, but I'll tell you what. If you take away some of that stuff and he sees that you're, that you're not providing everything that he needs here and there, he's going he's gonna to leave you. He's going to curse you to your face because now all of a sudden you've taken these things away from him that he's grown comfortable with. I know that doesn't sound familiar to any of us in here. If I was to ask you to show of hands or anything, I know mine would probably be the only one raised that I'd get upset when the Lord took something away from me or this and that and other. So I won't ask for a show of hands. But, but he, he thinks that Job's a, a fraud. Well, I'll go ahead and give a spoiler right now. He was found wrong. He was dead wrong on what he thought about Job. But let's get into it some more. You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. Now this right here proves to us that Satan does not have control on his own. Satan has to come to God and request permission from God to do anything to us. To do it to Job or to anyone else. He has to have permission. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. And so now is where it gets pretty thick. Now there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword and I alone have escaped to tell you. There's going to be in rapid procession four tragedies that come before Job and his wife, one right after the other. And we know it happens so quickly because the next one says, while he was still speaking, while he was still speaking, and while he was still speaking. So they're one right after the other. First off, he loses his, uh, his stock, his cattle, his uh, servants. The second one is going to be fire fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. While he was still speaking, 
Another came and said, the Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away, and yes, killed the servants, except one. While he was reporting all this, once again, while he was still speaking, another also came and said, your sons and daughters were drinking and eating in your oldest son's house when a mighty, mighty wind came through and caved in all four corners of the house and it killed all your children. Killed all ten of your children. I was the only survivor because I am here to tell you about what happened. I don't know about you. I don't know anything about ranching and farming and this and that and the other, so I wouldn't know much about the cattle and all that to begin with. But it wouldn't take but one of these tragedies to me to just totally just discombobulate me altogether at the time. But imagine that. Here is this man. He is the pillar of the East. Scripture tells us that. He is king of the mountain so to speak, at this point in time. Nothing's wrong. Happy-go-lucky. He got up in the morning. I can't say he had a cup of coffee. I don't know if they had it back then. But here he was. His day was probably going great. He put in his hard work and all that. And based on the uh, other scripture, he was sitting down when all this was being told to him. But before this happened, he was probably just having the grandest day in the, of the world, like, he, like every other day. And then all of a sudden, he got not one, not two, not three, but four tragedies all right in a row that just devastated his entire life. He went from having everything to a... a a moment's notice having absolutely nothing. Now, like I said, I don't know about you, but I know with me, that would devastate me. That would, ask, that would, that would have me asking a bunch of questions in my mind, I'm sure. Now, I don't think that it's wrong for us to question God and ask him this and that and the other. What I do think is wrong is when we take that questioning God to a different level and we start becoming bitter and we start hardening our heart towards him because of the fact that we're not getting everything the way that we want it. Once again, we go back to James again. It says we're to have take joy in the trials because it builds patience. But when we're questioning God and hardening towards him, I don't see any joy in that. So I think that that's not right. But here he is. He gets this word. And his life is completely shot. So we, we think that, you know, at this point in time, it would be a good, it'd be a good point for Satan maybe to be smiling, going, yeah, I've got him. I've got him right where I told, right where I want him, right where I told you he would be at, that he would be cursing you to his face. Well, 
I think Job has a little something in store for Satan. Because it says, And Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved, shaved his head. Doing a little bit of studying on this, this is an Old Testament way of showing grief, is by doing this. But here's where it gets good. He fell to the ground and worshipped. Now, I want us to understand this, that when it says here that he fell to the ground, first off, it wasn't one of these falling to the ground like you've had this devastating news given to you and you just collapse. Because how many times have we seen that in the past? When, when somebody gets devastating news, that's the first thing that happens, isn't it? They just collapse in disbelief. Well, it tells us right here, then Job arose, which shows us he was sitting down. So then he got up, tore his robe, shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. Now, is that amazing? That a man who had just gone from up here all the way to down here is worshiping God Almighty. If he's not the example of how we are to follow Jesus Christ in the times of trials and tribulations and depression and disappointment or whatever, then I don't know what is. I don't know what is. Because a lot of people have said that this book of Job is probably the most depressing book in the Bible. The reason they say that is because this book starts out with suffering. It continues with suffering all the way through about chapter 41. Chapter 42 is, is victory. I'm not going to spoil it, but I'm sure a lot of you already know about the book of Job and you know what happens in the end. But it's, it's because it's, it's a book about suffering. Well, to me, it's a book of excitement. It's uh, very, very, I can't think of the word. It was on my mind a minute ago, but I'm old and forgetful. But uh, anyhow, it's very inspiring. There we go. It's very inspiring to me because of the fact that it shows me how I should live my life every single day that I am given the breath of life by God Almighty. Because Job, despite everything that happened to him, he fell to the ground and worshipped and said, Naked I come from my mother's womb, naked shall I return there. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Now I'm again not going to ask for a show of hands here. But uh, I just wonder 
when things like this happen to us and we go through those times, how many times we just look at God and just ask him, what are you doing to me? Why are you doing this to me? That's not for us to ask him. What's for us to do is like Job, is to continue to worship him and to praise him and to live our life according to this book and this book alone. The storm was brewing and Job had no idea of what was happening, of what was coming his way. But I'll say this much about Job. He handled it like a champion. Absolutely. To sit there and go through all that and to never sin and to never charge God with any, any wrong or anything like that. He is a champion in, in my opinion. Casting Crowns has a song and is titled, I'll Praise You in the Storm. I don't know if you ever listened to it or not. I probably listened to it 1,500 times today trying to get it right. But It's a perfect song for, for this right here because of the fact that no matter what the, storm, what the storm, we are to praise God Almighty. There's another new song. I, I can't carry a tune in the bucket, so I'm not going to sing anything for you. I know you're probably going to be happy with that because you get sick. But I enjoy music. I enjoy worship, worship music. And I sing quietly because I don't want you to hear me for one reason. But... There's so many songs out there that are appropriate for so many, for all the different times that we're in. And there's a new one now. I've just heard it probably in the last month or so. And, uh, of course, once again, it's fading from me. But uh, it talks about God carrying us through the fires and pulling us through the flames. And uh, that's what it's all about. God Almighty is there with us he's carrying us we think we're doing this all on our own we're not God's carrying us and we're to just sit there and obey him and to listen to him and when we do that he meets us he meets us wherever wherever we need to be met at he's meeting me here right now because of the fact that if it was just up to me I wouldn't be standing here in front of y'all I'll just tell you that right now. I just we talked about this in home group the other night, didn't we, Tom? About the the number one thing that's a, that that people fear the most, and it's not death. It's getting up here and standing up in front of a group of people and talking. Oh, uh, hey, I went through instructor school and. The Air Force years ago and had to take a six-week course on that. And that's one of the first things they tell us is that, you know, that's the, the scariest thing. But anyhow, getting back to, uh, to, to, uh, to Job, I had a friend of mine in the Air Force years ago. His name was Mike Riley. Good friend, good golfing buddy. 
tried to witness to him one day, and uh, he didn't want to hear anything about it, about God. Didn't believe in God, never wanted to hear the word God again to ask him why. Back in the late 80s at Chicago O'Hare International Airport, there was a uh, big passenger jet that took off. I don't know if you remember it or not, but shortly after it got airborne off the end of the runway, it exploded. Everybody on the plane was killed. And I found out from him that his father and his sister were on that plane. And uh, after that point, he said he never believed, he'd never believe in God again. Told him I'd pray for him. I tried to witness to him, but he didn't want to hear it. But I don't know until this day if he's still the same or not, but I, I pray that, that he's not. But that's just, you know, how we are as individuals. You know, things don't go good for us. Times we, uh, we just want to push back and not have anything to do with God whatsoever. But we have a very good godly example right here in Job to live by during the storm. Chapter 2 only has 13 verses. We're going to go through it real uh, kind of quickly. I, I would pull Roy, can you give me 12 minutes? But I'm going to try and uh, <laughs> do that a little quicker. My wife tells me not to try and use humor because I'm not funny. <laughs> hey, look, baby, they're laughing. <laughs> All right. the, uh, the first few verses here, once again, they're having the heavenly council. God's in control. And uh, Satan comes walking in. God asks him the same thing about where he's been. He tells him. And he says to him again, you know, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on the earth, blameless and upright man, fears God and shuns evil, and still he holds fast to his integrity. This is where God kind of gets back at Satan right now. Because he tells him, he goes, he still holds fast to his integrity. Although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. And see, sometimes that goes back to why we don't always have the answers as to why something's happening. We don't know what God's up to. But as a believer, we know that we're just supposed to trust him and believe in him and follow him and go from there. So Satan said, answered the Lord and said, skin for skin. Yes, all that a man has, he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely curse you to his face. So once again, he's asking permission. God's granting him permission to, uh, to go after Job a second time. Poor guy didn't know the first time he was coming after him blindsided him, probably thought, well, after this, I guess, you know, nothing else can happen. Probably the worst thing in the world to ever think or say, isn't it? And here it is, round two, coming up. So we see this, Satan went out, struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took for himself a potsherd. I think, I'm, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's a broken piece of ceramic material. And he takes that and he uses that to scratch himself to help relieve the pain and itching from these boils. 
boils all the way from the top of his head to the soil to the bottom of his feet. Anybody here ever had boils like that? Any kind of boils? I never have, and I thank God for it, and I hope I never do, because it sounds nasty and disgusting. And one, one, uh, I was listening to uh, Skip Heisick, the lead uh, pastor at Calvary Chapel, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and he was talking about this, and he said that these boils were just absolutely disgusting. He said there was worms coming out and all kinds of stuff from him, and here he is, he comes up, he's the man way up here on top of the mountain. And now through all this, he's all the way down here. He's basically like an outcast now. And he's sitting up at the outskirts of, uh, of town because it was so disgusting that, that he had to leave and just get out of his house and get away. So he, he's at the landfill is what one, uh, <clears throat> one person described it as and just sitting there, scratching himself with his pot shirt. We see in here about his friends in a few minutes that these boils were so devastating that he was unrecognizable by his three good friends. So you know it's got to be pretty bad. But anyhow, he was uh, scratching himself with a pot shirt while he sat in the midst of the ashes. And here comes the patented verse in this chapter. Verse 9. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. Now before we jump all over her, I, I think we need to think about some things here. And uh, Jacob, if you will, bring up Matthew 19.5, please. Let's remember something about this. That Job and his wife were married. They had ten kids, seven sons, three daughters. Whatever has gone, whatever has happened to Job in the first chapter, in the first eight verses of chapter two, his, life, his wife has lived this out with him. Because just like this says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's exactly how it is in God's word. That when we join together, we become one. We don't become me and you. We become one flesh. Everything that we have is ours. We don't have two bank accounts. We don't have two incomes, we don't have, I don't have four ribeyes and Paula has two pounds of ground beef. No. We have it all together. I know there's some of that humor, huh, babe? We all have it together. It's one. We're united in one flesh. So everything that's happened to him has happened to her. Because let's think about it. He lost the ranch. He lost the cattle. He lost his servants. And they lost 10 kids together. I don't believe that Job married some floozy or whatever off the street corner in Uz. 
because of how righteous and upright and blameless this man was. I believe that she was a man that, that uh, meant. I believe that she was a woman who knew the Lord, who feared him the same way as Job was because she saw each and every day how this true man of God believed and followed him. She had the example of all examples to, to live with. So I, I, I believe that, that through all this, she was heartbroken, she was devastated, and now to boot, she sees the one strong person at her side who has always been there providing for her, supporting for her, and everything else, dwindling down to nothing, basically. Here he is. He's got boils all over his, his body. He's sitting there. He's, like I said, basically been outcasted. He's sitting at the uh, end of town. And she's probably hurt devastated and more than anything probably doesn't know how to handle and how to care for this man that's been her rock for all of those years so it's hard I'm sure and she probably says this and I know nobody in here has ever said something that they wish they had never said in the first place have you no I didn't think so but uh, probably as soon as she said that, she's like, oh, heck, I shouldn't have said that, probably. Then Job, he responds to her. He said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women speak. And see, that's what, that's what tells me right there that he expected more out of her because he knew where she was in her, in her faith and in her trust in God. But yet she just let the world get in her and just at the drop of a hat without even thinking, just blurted it out and said, why don't you curse God and die? Shall we indeed accept good from God and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. Once again, it goes back to what I talked about earlier. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we are to praise God Almighty in the good times when they're very bountiful. We're to praise God when it's very lean, when we have hardly anything. Because we serve a mighty God, and He, he wants us. He is more... He is more concerned about our character than he is about our comfort. Because he knows if our character is where it needs to be, he's going to make sure that our comfort's there likewise. So we need, we need to remember that. Our character and not our comfort. We're getting close. Trust me, we're getting close. Now when Job's three friends of all this adversity... I'm sorry, when Job's three friends 
heard of all this adversity that had come upon him. Each one came from his own place. Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuite, and Zophar, the Namanite. For they had made an appointment to gather to come and mourn with him and to comfort him. And when they raised their eyes from afar and did not recognize him, they lifted their voices and wept. And each one tore his robe and sprinkled dust on his head toward heaven. So they sat down with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his grief was very great. So this shows us right here that, that the boils and all that Satan put upon him was devastating to him. His three friends came from afar to sit here and to mourn and comfort him. And in chapter 2, they did the greatest thing in the world that they could do. They said absolutely nothing to him. They sat there with him for a week. They wept. And they mourned with him. How many times when we know somebody's hurting or devastated, and we try to be good, we try to be nice and, and comfort them, but what do we do? We say the wrong things at the wrong time, don't we? When sometimes all we need to do is to just give them a hug and tell them we love them and that we're here for them and that we will do anything we can anytime for them. But no, a lot of times we just put our foot in our mouth and we say the wrong things, which causes even more heartbreak or whatever for them and as we get farther into the other chapters we're going to see that that's exactly what happened with his three friends they started telling him what he did what he's done wrong and this and that and the other and that's where it, it starts getting uh, tougher and tougher on them uh, as you can see I, I forget to watch my notes in closing We'll go ahead and have the worship team start coming on up, please. In closing, I ask you, do you have three friends? <laughs> you think after doing air traffic control all these years that I did it, I'd know how to fix this thing. That tells you I've done good. I've forgotten about my old job. Hallelujah. <laughs> all right. Anyhow. Do you have three friends that you know without a doubt if you went through times like Job was going through that you could call them and they would drop every single thing that they're doing right then and there to get here to be with you and to comfort you. Three friends, that's not very many. One, two, three. That's not that many. But do you have three close personal friends like that? I hope you do. I pray that you do. Because in Proverbs 27, 17, there we go, Steve. Iron sharpens iron. So the countenance of, of a friend is made better. I messed it up in the last part, but anyhow.
So I pray that you have you have those three friends. If you don't, I pray that you work on it. rubber meets the highway brothers and sisters that's where we get real with one another that's where we put our share our burdens it's where we live life together and you get to know the brothers and sisters that you're in there they're all uh, they're either male or female they're not mixed like home groups that's why brothers get together and iron sharpens iron and it sharpens the same way with the women so if you're not in a, in a core group I want to challenge you today to pray about that. Come see me or any other other elders or deacons and we can help direct you to that because this is a vital part of this church, is the core groups. And uh, this is where I'll guarantee you in that you'll find free, free friends. You'll find a lot more than that too. But, uh, he had his three friends. They came and they mourned with him. We've seen the role model today of how we should live our lives in the good times and in the bad times. And I pray that each and every one of us will leave this place today and that we will go home and we will pray about this and ask the Lord to grow us deeper and deeper with Him in our, in our daily walk through this crazy mixed up life that we 